Yeah. Okay. So I guess we're recording now. So we're, we're already recording, but do we want to put like a clap hmm. here where we're starting? Sure. Do we all do this? Uh, no, you can just do it. Oh, okay. Just do a loud, big one. Okay. I'm going to clap now. Uh, and, and then I'll, I'll do the zoom zoom stuff here. Okay. That was, oh, I got to do better one than that. There you go. Uh, you're really, you're really quiet. Let me do it. What? I, I, it, you must just I can be, hear anything. You must just be far away from your. I'm mic. right. My mic is right here. Okay. Well, clap directly into it. I, but. It might have like a, you might have like some sort of software filter that's. Vias, do you know how to clap? Yeah. No, nah, it's okay. I'll do it. Vias, have you clapped before? I'm just missing. <laughs> no, you must have some kind of, it must have some it kind must, of like. It must have like take a one hand. Filter. Okay. Take your one hand and then everybody, the other one. Everybody tell me if they can hear this, okay? Okay. Yeah, you can do it. What's wrong with Vias? Okay, that's Vyas, fine. That's what a clap sounds like. <laughs> Vias has something to show us, apparently. I have I no was, idea what it was, is. Okay. So It's not how wait. to clap. I have a little. <laughs> all right. All right, pal. Be us. We're we're the white guys. We're supposed to be the ones who can't clap. <laughs> okay, I I'm the host. Um, I'm going to share my screen. Let's do. You're gonna see some random contracts. Ah, wait, no. Okay, hide that. There uh, go. Wait, hide that. I need to do the audio uh, thing. Let's see. Invoice from Vladimir Putin. Oh, I think I'm say. <laughs> okay. All right. Check this out. Oh, can you hear this? Hey, Jackson, what's going on, man? I understand yesterday was a big day. Congratulations on your nuptials. I hope the moment was everything you and your lovely bride, Rachel, had hoped for and more. I myself am married almost 13 years now in a row, I might add. (laughs) So from one married dude to another, all the best in this next chapter of your life. And perhaps we can catch up one day down the road. Uh, Cheers, man. Congrats. Uh, what a guy. What a mensch. What a guy. There's only yeah. one Murph. There is truly only, only one, one Murph. Murph. He's the best. Uh, you have to send that to me so that I can show it Absolutely. to my wife. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I got married, everybody. So that was why it's been a while since there's been an episode. <laughs> we were going to do one and then, uh, you know, getting married he was getting married so (laughs) i'm gonna turn my my video off too um yeah last weekend was uh with me elliot uh and a few friends of the show went went down to victoria uh you could say who they are it was justin and jd justin jd and and some wags um wags yeah we had an awesome time uh you and rachel planned a great wedding uh thank you yeah i i was almost i was almost late to your wedding (laughs) <laughs> um, but my reason for almost being late was the convoy because I was oh yeah part of it. <laughs> could you, could, he was busy I, protesting. I was honking, his, honking his fucking horn. Yeah, he was. He, he had to go to the convoy. He had to make an appearance yeah. first before. That's why you he could, was late. You could hear the honking in the background of the wedding. That was Vias. I was gonna say actually, we had our little cake and punch reception outside. Could you hear any honking? Because I was not. There's no way I would have noticed. I was way too. In like it. wrapped into it or whatever, but like no, oh, no, 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 no. Ah, because uh, for context, great. Jackson was getting married on like a block east of the legislature, and yeah, some of us were staying in a hotel a block west of it. Uh, 
and which actually helped us uh help me actually deliver one of the bending on empties to one of our winners tim that's Wilkinson. right uh i've been in the middle of a move i and also have adhd and have not found a time to go to the post office i'm so sorry for the other four of you but you'll get them um but yeah tim lived like right across from the hotel and so elliot and i just went across and and delivered it uh which was uh which was really fun yeah, that um, was awesome. but yeah we we had a good time right after your wedding we went to a bar uh like right after your ceremony we went to a bar and we caught about 12 of the goals from the toronto detroit game oh uh, wow <laughs> which was happening that day like by the time by the time we got our drinks from sitting down i think six goals were scored wow yeah um, we had a good time there and we had a wonderful time at your, your dinner after. Uh, yeah. So yeah, congrats. Uh, Dan, uh, was so quick to get back to me. Uh, when I, when I asked him, um, I think it was like the night before I was like, Oh fuck, I, we should, we could totally get this video from Dan, uh, for Jackson. Uh, we know how kind he's been to you before. Uh, um, yeah, so why that not was very ring nice one out, you ring and another one to do. That. Um, yeah, he was like, uh, I'm I'm driving down from Whistler, but as soon as I get home, I'll do it. And he still had his like suit on, and so clearly... ah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 uh he's the best. Um, I would say some of my favorite episodes, uh, or at least one in particular that I that I can think of uh, of Roxy Fever was mm -hmm. was a a Dan Murphy episode. Yeah, that we've was... only had him on once. Yeah. We're due okay, to have so it's just that one. Yeah. That was so much fun. Yeah, that it was, was one great. Of the fun, most fun times I've had doing the show. Uh, listeners, definitely go back to your feed and try to find that one. If you have yeah, the, I will recommend that one actually for like newer listeners because we hardly talked about <laughs> anything like that was like it's it's pretty evergreen. I think the only you know we might have had one Canucks question and then we talked about that uh, that awful um, Mitch Miller thing uh, that that went down in Arizona with the with the kid that got drafted, but that's like pretty evergreen too. Uh, yeah honestly just in terms and then of the rest of time talking about sports page yeah and everything else was like yeah. you know like what's That's your fun. skincare routine and like <laughs> you know that kind of shit so yeah, yeah i, I the episode, that one and the episode is the answer to skin his or <laughs> question to him about skincare yes it's right. episode 52 titled hand soap there we go <laughs> right and soap is all he does um uh yeah i guess uh i guess it's time to do the intros yeah uh well i mean yeah, is there anything? Well, is there anything else you want to talk about with regards to uh, the wedding? Know, us, us, we, we, I did. I will say the uh -huh. the hockey Twitter contingency of the wedding were the only non family guests that oh. demanded a picture with us, oh. <laughs> uh, which, I thought was very, which I thought was very funny and very cute. And so uh, when we send out our thank you cards, you guys will get oh, uh, nice. pictures with, with us. So oh, exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, exciting. yeah. I had I, a wonderful I, time. I wore I a suit that uh, I know for a fact <laughs> has also been worn by uh, Hockey Night in Canada personality, Anthony Stewart. I saw him in it a couple of weeks after I bought it. Get out. Um, yeah, no, I thought that was pretty funny. It was like the same pattern, was, right? I thought you yeah. saw it and like were inspired by his. No, no, it was that's what I thought total too. coincidence. I made it sound like that, I think. Oh, okay, okay. I yeah, fell no. for I fell for yeah, it. What color was it again? It was uh like burgundy, I guess nice. I would I would say. Uh or you know I'm not uh I'm not super sophisticated when it comes to colors, so it was like a a purpley reddy color. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm looking at it now. It's very much an Anthony Stewart 
Sue, uh, yeah. Sue's yeah. like that's his he he likes that palette. It's like a nice soft burgundy. Yes, and it's it's you from far away you can't really tell, but up close it is plaid. It is. Uh, so yeah, it's, a, it's sharp. It's a soft yeah. plaid. I was very, yeah. very happy with our, our uh, friend our friend Tyler Shipley takes close attention of CBC hosts, we know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's my hobby horse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh fuck. Sucking, you know, sucks. Speed, agility, power. I'm a big fan of these things. All of the performance I demand for myself on the ice is here. Handles all of my needs in dynamic fashion. folks uh welcome to another episode of roxy fever i am your host jackson mcdonald with me as usual hey guys it's via saran and Dahlia boy and uh joining us to uh enact i think the second ever roxy fever forward policy desk <laughs> it is uh longtime friend of the show tyler shipley uh ship Hi, everyone. Going? oh it's Very going good. it's going yeah, uh, Jackson, uh, I have a quick I, I have one yeah. thing to add about the wedding oh, the wedding yeah, sure. content. Did we tell you this, but did we tell you that your dad looks like <laughs> Brazilian president Lula da Silva? Yeah, you did mention we, that. We and did? I Googled okay. him afterwards and he doesn't uh yeah, he doesn't not look like Lula. Um, <laughs> so I'll give you that one. Uh that was pretty funny. Former was, and possibly future one, but we yeah. will do an emergency episode. About yeah. the Brazilian presidential election when that does happen. I'm sure we'll find something to do with, like, who's a hockey player from Brazil? Robin Revere? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's that's from Brazil, the, right? That's literally the only one to the best. He's of like my randomly knowledge. from like Recife or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I believe it's Revere. Yeah. It's got to be. Tyler, yeah. did you know we, this? Well, <laughs> I did not know that. And I, I really, now that I know it, I really think we should reach out to Robin Revere. And uh, like get comments on why does the the current Brazilian president constantly need to have shit pumped out of his body? <laughs> because I'm, that's a that's a strange thing to have even one time to have to have a tube in you to so that they can get the feces out of your body through your mouth. That's a strange thing to happen once. It's happened to the dude like four times. Four yeah, times. he's on he's the Jordan COVID Peterson times uh, diet. That's what happened. Yeah, yeah, that's straight yeah. meat. Yeah, I mean, have you been to a Brazilian restaurant? No. Yeah. They, they bring you swords. Of, it makes perfect sense. They bring you swords of beef. Like wow. literally, that that is the thing you can get. Where at Brazilian buffets, there used to be one uh in the West End, and you'd go and it's it's like you know how at dim sum people will have the carts coming by with a bunch of goodies? Of it's that, but it's these uh these very young Brazilian guys who will walk around with swords with various meats and sausages and you just kind of at like, yeah, I'll have that one. And he just cuts it down from, like, the, from the sword. It's like it's like medieval times with meat. That's yeah. like literally yes. yeah. that a meat sword is like, I'm fairly certain, like literally a euphemism for a dick. <laughs> it, it, it was yeah. a, I was wondering how long it would take to get to that. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, uh-huh. after this week, it is, I guess, now on the table for every NHL player to 
get asked political questions about their country. So um, mm-hmm. we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, on the on the sort of general NHL or uh, I guess more specifically Canucks front. There hasn't been a ton of news, but there was one particular story that stood out as uh, having a, a a Roxy Fever flair to it. Which yeah, because we're, we're uh, not going to we're not going to do episodes about like should they have pulled Halak? Yeah, uh, who, who cares? What's going on in Utica? Like that much? Like, yeah, no. Yeah, it's only it's one just one of there. those things. I where would love us to do a deep dive on what's going on in Utica for the New Jersey Devils farm team. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean that would be great, honestly. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things where that kind of sort of micro analysis with the Canucks, you know, you can get that anywhere else. There's 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 bigger fish to fry. But the one story that that did stick out from the last week is, I believe, Elliot Friedman reporting that there are uh, some Canucks unnamed who are upset that their names keep coming up in trade rumors. And I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but maybe I'll, I'll just get a quick take from the three of you. And then I can fill in what I think is missing because I feel like we're going to share some opinions, certainly. So I'll start with you, Vias. What do you think? Oh, uh, I didn't I, like, I, I, I sometimes only hear this stuff by osmosis and I can't tell what's real or not. Yeah. Like, fair. Whatever Twitter account is sharing that. Oh, the Canucks are mad about how crazy Canucks Twitter is. Sounds made up. And so I yeah. didn't take it seriously until you just brought it up now. I mean, that's fair. And that is kind of how you should feel about that because I, I ultimately it's, it's how I process the Ukraine news. It's how I process the Canucks news. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, how about, how about you, Elliot? Did you, did you see this? And when you did, what was your, what was your reaction to it? I mean, like, that's totally fair for the players not to want to have like their, ultimately like their lives be gossiped about like that. Cause like that would suck. But at the same time, you don't get to complain about it because that is the job. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. This is a very like, well, both sides have points answers, but it's sort of like, no, you guys know that this is an like a mediocre at best team. You have to know that at this point that that means there's going to be trades. Yeah, it's sort of like one of those things where it's like you're allowed to not like it, but you're not allowed to think it's going to change. Yeah, you're like sort of sort of like it's like being mad at traffic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about yourself, Tyler? Uh, you know, I haven't I haven't paid any attention to the Canucks this year, so my only thought on this is uh, I, I really think Jim Benning should be fired. Uh, I think I think it's clear that the man can't do his job and it's astounding to me that he's still uh, been given such such a leash. So, uh, you know, that's a good answer. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, very, very good. uh, My my first reaction to this was to question the source. Like, so my understanding and once again, this is I have been kind of consuming things by osmosis recently, too, because I've been. watching osmosis jones yeah uh, watching a lot of osmosis jones starring chris rock um a uh no mostly i've been uh like i've been kind of in and out of hotels and like um, you know we got home but then when we got home we just kind of wanted to like chill out and do some 
like nice things together. So I haven't really watched any hockey. I've watched like a lot of movies and like documentaries and stuff. I didn't even, I watched some Beatles documentary instead of watching the game last night. Cause I just didn't even know it was on. So I, this is like me sort of the next game of the year. Awesome. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Arguably. This is kind of my like very, very uh, distant from afar view on what's going on. But my understanding is that this initially came from Elliot Friedman and my immediately I was like, well, who told him that? That's a really interesting question to me because it sounds like I, I, I hate to say it, but it's like, that sounds like a thing Elliot Friedman would make up because of just how Are much you he hates Canucks Twitter. I am not accusing him of lying. I'm saying <laughs> it. I'm saying that in the same way that back when I read a blind item in 2013 about Louis CK, I said that also sounds like something someone would make up about him. Uh, which was not what I came to believe, but it's just sometimes, you know, like things are just very on the nose, you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's a very uh, on There's the very nose. much a reason why Elliot Friedman is the one reporting this. Yes, exactly. So I, I wonder if that comes from an agent, maybe does Kevin Epp, that's the case. Uh, does Kevin Epp, uh re- represent anyone other than Jake Vertanen that's on the Canucks? Cause that's a very Travis Kevin. Ha- was it Travis Hamanek or something? Ah, uh, see, if that's I, the case, like I feel like Vertanen's other, the other person that uh, is represented by Vertanen was like another player that that has been in trouble. Slash, yeah, yeah, okay. it was. Okay, yeah. so we have. Oh, nice. Okay, there's four Canucks with Kevin F. Oh, okay. Oel Hamanek. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nick Patan, who's listed as a Canuck here. That's yeah, that's fine. Well, he he's is... an Abbotsford Canuck. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Sheldon Rempel. Oh no, Parker! <laughs> oh no, he represents oh, the fucking water spins. Oh, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, Hamanek and and OEL are guys whose names are kind of out there a little bit. Um, like the main I mean, guys who rumors are swirling around are like Besser and Miller. So I'd be curious if like their agents were leaking this. Yeah, and and I mean, in Miller's case, like Miller is upset when he like wakes up in the morning and <laughs> it's a day like i don't know like it's just that guy is just pissed it's a day off that constantly. Ends yeah exactly um i actually just came on the show to relitigate the miller trade i thought that was where we're going next <laughs> people still ask me to this day people who who like don't know jackson will ask me is like so jackson was wrong about the miller trade right and then i just <laughs> I'm, i have to like put down whatever i'm holding and be like <laughs> And come to his defense. <laughs> I, uh, the, the, I will, that will eventually be a thing that gets discussed. And what I will say is, uh, the take I am coming around on for it is I lost the battle, but I won the war. Um, <laughs> but we can talk about that another time. There are other Man, more important wars to discuss. I'll defend, um, <laughs> I'll defend to the death. I will defend to the death your take on the Miller trade. Yeah. It's because yeah. it's, it's, the, it's important correct, wars. But yeah. yeah um, so, you know, that was my initial question was like, where, where did this come from? Um, Besser, I get Besser because Besser's been in trade rumors for like three years. So yeah. if I was if I was Besser, I would start to be like, OK, fucking can you either trade me or like sign me long term? Because this is fucking really annoying or whatever. But yeah, um, my shit or get off the pot, as my dad would say. Yes. Mm. Uh, so my my only thing about this is just like. It, it is like Elliot said, you don't have to like it, but you can't expect it to be any other way because you're, first of all, you're an NHL player. Any NHL player is going to be 
involved in trade rumors. Doesn't matter. Like Philip D. Giuseppe could get involved in in uh and a trade rumor just if somebody out there is interested in it. like any player from any market any contract status it comes with the territory if you're if you're actually seriously like trying to tie this to a like canucks twitter thing which first of all it's not these reports are coming from like uh pierre lebrun and frank saravelli they're not coming from taj or uh, you know, whoever else um, it, it, it's just, it, to me, that's like a ridiculous thing to say that this is like a Vancouver market thing because it's a thing in every market and it's certainly a thing in every big market. So when I heard that, yeah. I was just kind of, I just kind of like made a fart noise. I was like, what are you, what, how is this? Like, how is this news at the, uh, at this point in the Canucks season? How is it? How is like someone is mad that trade rumors exist? Someone just discovered the concept of a trade rumor yesterday and is now mad about it. How is that like a a, like how does that sustain through even a single news cycle? I don't know. I was pretty. I was pretty appalled. (laughs) Yeah, like I saw that the VanCast podcast, which I I don't know if it's the most popular major connects podcast uh, after us. It's the yeah, of course. It's the one that I listen to still. But like the title of their most recent show was Canucks mm-hmm. are mad about uh, uh, trade rumors uh, coming from fans or whatever. I was like, that's how the fact that it, it reached that level of like being the main topic of, of that show yeah. uh, goes to that. And the second one is this is kind of like we, we gutted the whole team front office uh, like yeah. what a month or two ago. And it's Jim Rutherford of all people who's running the team. Like we, we kind of knew from the start that this whole team will probably be gutted. I'm quite happy that they didn't do it immediately. Like I'm really glad they went ahead with building a foundation of people to help manage the team with him uh, before any of that happens. And so this, like we all knew what was going to happen. We all knew what the deal was. Um, And I think most of the players probably knew that. Maybe I like I understand uh, they're frustrated when nothing happens yet. Um, mm-hmm. They'd rather you know shit it off the pot and stuff, but it the timing is right. Uh, team got gutted. Trade deadline's coming up. We're the the only reason I think uh, outside of maybe uh, just like agent saber rattling uh, that nothing's happened yet is that the Canucks are somewhat good right now. Yeah. That's really throwing a wrench in their plans, I think. Like every Uh, time they lose, they don't lose a game that isn't like the second of a back to back. I I just get kind of mad. Like I want them to get blown out really badly so that they can finally do what they're supposed to do. It's pretty interesting. Like since Bruce Boudreaux took over, which you could argue is kind of an arbitrary line, but like since Bruce Boudreaux took over, I believe they're playing at like a, a low end playoff pace. Yeah, so yeah, they're they're the yeah. best of the teams not in the playoffs right now. Yeah, and yeah. they're competitive against teams that are in the playoffs. On some yeah, nights, it's an, it's going to so. be an interesting uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. I think I think there's a lot of different potential scenarios to chew on. So that can be that's a bit of a tease for uh, maybe our next episode or the episode after that. Uh, but. I think that's you know enough time to spend on the the small potatoes issues of the day because obviously the reason why we had uh, Tyler on today is to discuss um, the 
war in Ukraine that broke out over the course of while I was getting married, basically. Um, and obviously, like you can ask the question, like, is this supposed to be a hockey show? Uh, and the answer is uh, debatable. Um, but <laughs> you know, you know uh, this is. But the the reason why um, we're the reason why we decided to do this is because it has already had uh, a number of knock on effects uh, across the world of hockey, both in the NHL and in other leagues that we've covered before. So um, it seemed only fair to devote a chunk of an episode to it just because, at least by my estimation, uh, it feels like for the type of person who would listen to this show, you might not really get a, a good look at why this is happening, uh, how it affects hockey and, and the hockey world's sort of response to it, because most shows just for a number of different reasons wouldn't de devote the time that it actually deserves. Uh, to talk about it. I know it has been mentioned on other shows. Vyas, you mentioned the VanCast. They talked a little bit about Alex Ovechkin on the most recent episode. Um, but it, it's one of those things where people are really speaking in sound bites right now. And a uh, like <laughs> protracted military conflict that has roots that go back decades uh, is not a particularly good thing to speak in sound bites about. So yeah. and, and, we're uh, lucky and enough yeah. that we have a friend and former guest now, two time guest in Tyler Shipley, who is qualified to talk not only about uh, hockey, but even more qualified to talk about this sort of thing. So um, we decided to, to do that. So hopefully I mean, I know I have a lot of questions. This is definitely outside my wheelhouse in a lot of ways, but uh, we hope that we can say at least a few things that are potentially illuminating about it, because I feel like right now uh, the tone of the conversation and the coverage is extremely one note and extremely uh, potentially like harmful. So, yeah, and I'd like to give like a one more minute of context for mm -hmm. why we're even talking about this is that, yeah, this is a conflict happening overseas, but there's mobilization happening here in various ways that like actually affects people who listen to the show. And I'm talking about in terms of the decisions that get made by businesses that are related at, uh, in response to this conflict. Uh, the things you're seeing where your tax dollars are being spent in quite odd ways and quite nefarious ways related to the conflict. It, this isn't just, oh, this is, has some impact on the hockey world that we like to talk about in the show. It's like, this is having an impact on us as people uh, already. And not only that, is that the places people would usually be getting their sources of this tend to even even when they're trying to be nice about it or just trying to be objective about it, tend to just parrot the same views of the Canadian state, which has a lot of complicity in what's going on, uh, not just in this week, but how this conflict has been happening for decades and decades. Um, so that's more context just to say, like, this isn't just about, oh, Ovechkin was being asked questions like, 
no, there's vandalism and people are potentially getting fired uh, in our communities uh, due to the xenophobia around this um, that I think is very much misplaced. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll stop talking now and just say thanks, <laughs> thanks Tyler, again for, for coming. And I'm not sure how exactly we want to lead off here, but I guess, shall we, shall we just uh, start out from 60,000 feet in the air here? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, it's, I think part of what's hard about this one is um, it is a complicated conflict. Like it's, it's, you know, as these things go, this one requires a bit more context and, and knowledge and subtlety to actually kind of fully wrap your head around, which obviously those are things that are um, at a fucking premium in our society. So, you know, because everyone is in a rush to like, have a quick, uh, you know, judgment and position on this thing. Like what flag do I put in my Twitter? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like, I mean, the correct answer would be no fucking flag, yeah. but um, you know, that's, that obviously requires some unpacking. So, I mean, uh, here, okay. So from 60,000 feet, whatever, like the, the really, really big broad picture overview of all of this is fundamentally um, in the in the world capitalist system, there's only so much profit to go around, and different different blocks or factions of capital or, or groups of capitalists, groups of business people, um, are fighting over those profits. And at various times in the history of capitalism, those groups, those factions of capital, have fought with one another over, you know, who's going to be at the center of this system and where who's going to get the profits that are going to going to flow from it. Uh, that's what happened in the First World War. That's how the First World War happened. Effectively, a bunch of European powers, pri primarily Britain and Germany, fighting over who was going to be the, the central imperial power in capitalism. And we are right now entering a phase uh, uh, like that. Um, some people call it inter-imperial rivalry or the idea that you've got different imperial blocks that are competing over um, access to profits. They don't have a fundamental difference in their worldview. Um, it's not like ideologically, there's anything profoundly different about, you know, the ideology that emanates from Joe Biden or, or frankly, from Vladimir Putin. They basically both are capitalist oligarchs and they run capitalist oligarchies, societies that are built by and for the rich to enrich the rich at the expense of everyone else. But what they don't share is that they are fighting over um, uh, profits effectively in the in the grand global scheme of things. And we're entering a phase where there is a rivalry growing between a block of capital centered around China, actually, but also including Russia. Russia and capital are, or Russia and China are, are both rival capitalist powers. At times, other countries have sort of tried to join that alternate block of capital, trying to, trying to recenter capitalism around themselves. And, and on the other side, the United States and Canada and, uh, you know, the Western European powers, which are trying to maintain, you know, that the center of capital should be the United States and, and around the orbit of the U.S. That is the broad, big overview behind all of this. That's mm -hmm. the rivalry that's been brewing for 20 years um, and which Ukraine has become the focus point, the fulcrum, because obviously, you know, the West has tried to expand and, and pressure um, you know, and try. there's been talk of Ukraine being brought into NATO. Uh, Putin has obviously pushed back against that and, and wants Ukraine to remain within the Russian orbit. And Ukraine has then, has then become the sort of 
uh, the, the, the little piece that they're fighting over at this moment. Um, there's yeah, a lot to say about what's happening in Ukraine itself, which I can get to, but that's the, your very, very broad overview. I really appreciate that. And I feel like maybe some people who might listen to that, who might think that is like too broad, that that is getting too far away from the issue. But I learned a lot in the last couple of weeks about how a lot of this can tie back to a major pipeline between that runs through Ukraine between Russia and Germany. I think it's called the Nord Stream Pipeline that uh, that the U.S. has been very interested in trying to steer Germany away from getting involved in and finding a way to destroy that pipeline, basically destroy the contract there. And uh, that was one of the first uh, actions that was taking, uh, taken at the beginning of this crisis was that Germany finally committed uh, to not going ahead with the with that pipeline because pipelines when you when you kind of engage with it or when you're one of the parties to it you're locked in for 30 years and the U.S. because the U.S. is a much larger producer of natural gas now uh, they want to push Russia out of that game as much as possible and be less reliant on Saudi Arabia in some respects as well and this pipeline was I guess to the State Department seen as a way like if we can stop this then we can bring Europe closer into our orbit, because right now, I think Germany gets like one third of its gas from Russia. And that that is like very directly tied to the explanation you just gave us that this is about warring capital uh, groups here. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's nothing new. Like, you know, one of the one of the first uh, things that people noticed after the invasion of Afghanistan was like that Afghanistan was a hugely important place in terms of pipeline construction and and mm. where is where is the oil right now where is it in the ground where is it going to go and who's going to control that and who's going to profit from that so i mean yeah this this one sort of pipeline that's like it's one piece of this story yeah. i think it's you know if, if it wasn't this pipeline it would ultimately be something else because yeah. this is how the system works right and and i think anyone who's been paying any attention knows and has known for a long time that some kind of conflict has been brewing between the bloc that is, you know, centered around China and Russia and the West, you know, and, and that you never know who's going to line up on which side of these things. Um, you know, for a while there was, you know, India was really actually part of that camp, you know, if you want to call it that, and, and often sort of operated within that framework, trying to reorient capitalism to, you know, to the East, if you will. But um, either way, I mean, that's the, the sort of big overarching elements of this. But then, you know, to kind of zoom in a little bit closer, um, Ukraine itself is a really divided uh, society. It's a, it's a country that is um, split between people who are ethnically Ukrainian and eth ethnically Russian. Um, obviously, there's a long, complicated history between Ukraine and Russia, um, you know, dating back a thousand years. Um, but in the in the I think the, the point for, for us that makes sense to start at is really the end of the Soviet Union. Um, when when socialism collapses at the end of the 1980s, um, the former Soviet republics, of which Ukraine and Russia were both Soviet republics, um, they are they are dismantled brutally, just viciously, um, in the aftermath of communism. And, and you know we're talking about something like 70 percent of Soviet state assets. So like schools, uh, factories, uh, hospitals, whatever, um, were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, people's life savings um, sold off and privatized, um, you know, in this kind of what was called shock therapy, the application of sudden and intense capitalism. And we all know what happens in capitalism. Rich people get rich by exploiting poor people. 
And this happened suddenly and so intensely that um, I forget the number, but it's something like, you know, within the first 10 years, 40 new billionaires in, in the former Soviet Union and like, you know, 100 million people plunged into poverty, you know, just extreme, extreme after, also, you know, uh, there's the, also like the largest drop in life expectancy. Yeah. In the, in the last century. Outside of like war. Right. Yeah. Like outside yeah. of war and had like from a political change. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to, we were like both itching to say that right yeah. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is, yeah. A, that is a thing that not a lot of people know. And I mean, it's, you can, talk about you know there's a lot of there are a lot of things that happened in the soviet union a lot of repression etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think a lot of people don't realize that in spite of that how um disastrous the dismantling of the soviet union was for the people who lived in those former soviet republics and, exactly and, and tyler could probably speak to this like what was the role of the west in that shock therapy yeah, well, I mean, it was it was Harvard economists that basically yeah. engineered it. They were invited, you know, in uh, Boris Yeltsin was like, hey, guys, you know, come on down, sort this sort, help us sort this out. Um, and and yeah, they really just it was like vultures, you know, on the carcass. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it is really important, I think, to remember this, because I saw a poll the other day that something like 60 percent or 50 to 60 percent of Americans think that Russia is currently communist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and and that's. It's absurd because, it, in fact, the roots of this current crisis are precisely the fact that Russia is capitalist, mm -hmm. and the pain of the the pain that people went through, especially in the 1990s, um, just just a horrific decade for people there when communism ended. Or, you know, and again to Jackson's point, there's lots of things critical things to say about the Soviet Union, but it provided people with housing, it provided people with food. It provided people with jobs and a stable you know, life for the for the vast majority of people. When that was taken away, most of those people ended up extremely poor. And, and, and the, the trauma of that moment was so intense. And it was so intense in both Ukraine and Russia. And that is really the intellectual origin of right now. Vladimir Putin is is popular to the extent that he is popular in Russia and has been for 20 years. It's largely because he tapped into people's Russian people's uh, humiliation and pain mm -hmm. uh, in that moment and said, I will build Russia back. I will make Russia strong again. We will stand up to the West. You oh, know, right. It, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah. So uh, I mean, to, to just to interject there, I wanted to uh, just make note of two things too. all of the things that were bad about the Soviet Union when it was the Soviet Union all still exist now the repression and the so like all of all of that mm. stuff that you would say critically about the ussr that is still exists in the russian federation it's just the only difference now is there's no welfare state to exactly. like help people so yeah that that that's an important thing to make note of and then the other thing i you may be coming around to it but that i i did just want to make sure that we we get in here is that um is putin as a figure um, from the West's standpoint, because he was not always this great villain uh, that he is now. In fact, my understanding is when he took over from Yeltsin in, around the turn of the century, he was sort of regarded as this like great sort of westernizer. And I remember um, there were he was very buddy buddy with uh, with George W. Bush, far, mm -hmm. far more buddy buddy with George W. Bush than he ever was with Donald Trump, uh, even though that's what gets the, the headlines. So. 
Uh, I'm not sure if you're coming around to that at some point, but I wanted to uh, make a note that I I would like to discuss that at some point as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, when he comes when he comes up in the early 2000s, you know, he's this capitalist reformer. He's he looks like the rich people in the West. He acts like the rich people in the West. He exploits people like the rich in the West. I mean, yeah, he's very much you know in favor, um, and and only starts to to fall out of favor when it becomes clear that ultimately his goal and his own political fortunes are kind of wrapped up in um, the at least the perception that he was going to um, stand up to the United States. You know, his popularity in Russia, a lot of it has to do with, you know, um, making making Russia strong again versus the U.S., standing up to the U.S. Um, and so the more he did that, the more it became clear that his ambition was to um, you know, draw capital back to Russia and therefore away from the West, that's when it starts to become a problem. Um, does that does that coincide around like the mid 2000s when the US started to push again, or when the US, aka NATO, or the NATO, aka the US started to push into Georgia and Ukraine? Because I think it was yeah. 2007 was the year that they started to basically Warn. Well, the Orange Revolution. Sorry, I don't. I don't even know where to start with the Orange Revolution. Yeah, but. yeah. There's there's a lot of ground we could possibly cover. I don't know yeah. how much of it we should, uh, just based but, on time constraints. But yeah, I, I mean, Vias mentions NATO. I do think uh, our listeners probably deserve a brief explanation of. I think most people understand what NATO is, but they maybe don't understand. Yeah, they're the guys who track Santa every Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or they 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 know, may know what it is, but they may not understand its role or how it's changed. Yeah, I, I think. Since, yeah, I, I think we can transition yeah. to that now. Yeah, um, I mean, particularly like NATO. I don't know. For me, it's strange to me that it even exists because it's a holdover from the Cold War, and there's no Soviet Union anymore. So it's kind of, there's no Warsaw Pact anymore. So why is there a NATO? It's kind of odd, but I'll let yeah, you I get mean, into that, I guess, uh, Tyler. Yeah, well, NATO is, I mean, you know, you can say, you know, for the for the defeat of the Soviet Union and the plummeting of millions of people into extremely painful poverty, you can thank NATO mm-hmm. because NATO's goal was always to destroy and defeat the Soviet Union and, and you know, communism in, in Eastern Europe, uh, which it did to the, to the ultimate, pain of, of so many people. Um, and then NATO just stuck around, even though it had already defeated the foe it was created to defeat. Um, it just stayed there as this ongoing military alliance of, of you know, Western Europe and North America. And, and you know, with this, with this kind of gradual push to uh, incorporate the former uh, states that had been uh, communist and, and aligned with the Soviet Union. And, and this does coincide with the kind of the changing of the relationship between the US and Putin. And it's also really relevant for Ukraine. We haven't talked much about Ukraine itself. Um, what happens in Ukraine is that it, during that horrible decade of the 90s and into the 2000s, uh, Ukraine is, is hit especially hard. Um, and at times between 30 and 60% of the country are, are living below the poverty line. It was one of the poorest countries in Europe for a very long time, well into the 2010s. and. Part of the reason for that is that there was this old guard of former Soviet officials who quickly sort of sidle into being capitalist oligarchs and they maintain control of the country after the fall of the Soviet Union. 
Um, and, you know, no one really likes them. No one respects them. They just hang on. They cling to power. That finally tips over in 2014. And there is a mass movement in Ukraine to get rid of uh, Viktor Yanukovych, who was the president at the time and represented the, the, these old, corrupt, now capitalist leaders. Um, but something really bad happens. And this this is a thing that can happen in societies that are experiencing extreme trauma and poverty and pain. Uh, and that is that in these years of, of really you know, pain and dislocation, the far right, the neo-Nazi organizations, um, they did their they did their work. You know, they did the groundwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were in the streets. They were, you know, in the schools. They were they were connecting and building a movement. And in 2014, when a wide section of Ukrainians wanted to get rid of the old government, the far right basically chose that moment and kind of seized it. And and they effectively take over the protests of, of 2014. And I know some people, you know, probably won't like my framing of it that way, but that is the only conclusion I can come to is that by the end of the 2014 um, uh, uprising, the far right gains a serious foothold in Ukrainian, not just society, but in state institutions, particularly, um, you know, government institutions and the military and police. Um, I guess so that's 2014. I could even speak to that for a moment. Like you said, you don't know if people would like that framing, but there was a video of a conference uh, of the far right in the Ukraine. And one of these guys like fessed up to that basically very proudly that they only counted, counted maybe 8% of the people involved in Euromaidan and that, that which is one of the names for the 2014 revolution. Uh, but they said, well, we infiltrated it all at the top. We got all the, all the help from the United States and NATO to do it. And and we won and, and we won the country, even though we were a significant minority. And I think exactly. that's an important point to bring up when people talk about how how amazing it is that uh, the current president Zelensky is is uh, the first Jewish president of the Ukraine. Uh, well, meanwhile, he works with the far right. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get to talking about how this far right has direct ties back to the actual German Nazi party and uh, and to Canada. And, and, and to Canada. Canada. Yeah, we'll, Canada. we will yeah. we will talk about all that. We'll get, um, we'll get there soon. The one thing I just to interject on that, when people talk about uh, Ukraine being like, oh, this is crazy that this is happening in a in a, you know, I mean, first of all, there's the just absolutely just like racist uh, thing of like, oh, this is happening in a civilized country. And these people have blonde hair and blue eyes, which is a real thing that. Yeah, that's on so the news said, mm-hmm. which is just horrendous. But, but yeah. Uh, but in addition to that, there's also the thing of like, oh, it's weird to see this happening in like a liberal democracy or whatever. And what they mean by that is that it's a democracy where anytime the West doesn't like the result, we do a soft mm. coup. Yeah. Um, but there, yeah. there's like recordings of phone calls from anyway. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your own research. Before we get our tinfoil. But no, but but I mean, all of what you're saying is right. And and. Uh, you know, and people don't like this because right now in 2022, what people want to do is put the Ukrainian flag in their in their Twitter handle and and just praise and glory Ukraine and Putin is bad. And this is, a you know, a simple good guys and bad guys when, in fact, you know, the truth is it's it's bad guys and bad guys with bad guys in the background and with normal people getting fucked over, yeah. you know, because of that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've established Putin. He's a capitalist oligarch trying to, you know, expand you know, Russian capitalism and, and in Ukraine, yeah, if essentially the state gets taken over or at least becomes infiltrated by the far right, if not fully taken over. 
Uh, and Zelensky is a good, actually a, a useful entry point into this because Zelensky is basically like the Ukrainian John Stewart. Like he was a comedy <laughs> TV guy. Like, you know, he did like funny news bits. He's a liberal um, ish, you know, a center right liberal. And and his campaign in 2019 was actually on de-escalation and people wanted de-escalation of the conflict. No one wanted, well, I should say no one, majority of people didn't want a war and, and the insecurity that comes with that. And so Zelensky campaigns on de-escalation, negotiating with Russia to try to find some kind of solution to this crisis. Um, once in power, Zelensky is unable to do that. And, and most people don't seem to get this. Like Zelensky was humiliated for two years uh, or more than two years um, in his relationships with the far right, in particular, the generals uh, and, and police chiefs who would openly defy his orders. I mean, there's a scene where he went to, you know, what was sort of like the, the front line. He went to eastern Ukraine near the border and and and, you know, told his generals to back down. You know, we're 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 pulling back right now and I've ordered you to pull back. And, you know, there's this confrontation and, and it was effectively he was marginalized within the state where he was nominally the president. Um, and, and what he had to do was essentially like put up or shut up. Uh, and and so he did. He he go. You know, he campaigns as a liberal and finds himself basically governing as a as a center to far right um, politician because he he can't actually um, resist the power that the far right had taken within the Ukrainian state. So you've got you've got Putin, this capitalist oligarch. You've got Ukraine basically run by the far right, and then you've got in the background Canada and the United States just cheerleading for a war, just absolutely like like warmongering, constantly talking it up. I mean, how many times in the last 10 years were we told, uh, oh, you know, Putin's on the brink of an invasion? I mean, only a few months ago we were told, uh, you know, Putin was about to invade, at which point both Putin and Ukraine were like, actually, no, it's not that bad yet. Like, mm. there's just been such an aggressive campaign in the West to, to I would argue, um, exacerbate the tensions um, and 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 sort of prime this conflict, which has now finally erupted. And again, the people who are being harmed are are normal people, just like average working people, most of whom are poor, uh, and most of whom probably don't have a stake in this, and whose lives don't get get significantly better or worse by the outcome of this conflict. And yet, the conflict itself is now putting their lives at risk. You know, destroying their savings, destroying their homes. You know, just a just a catastrophe for people who are living it. So to me, it's like a pox on all of their houses. Mm -hmm. You know, there is no good side here, um, you know, except the side of of normal average people, Russian and Ukrainian, who are uh, the victims of this conflict. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's useful to bring up, but Russia and Ukraine have been at war for about 10 years now as well, right in the Donbass region. So it, it wasn't as though this it wasn't as though this started basically yesterday or last week. Um, right. There, right. there have been active conflicts between both uh, for for at least eight years. Yeah. Don't think and, many people saw this one coming, though. In fairness. <laughs> I think people no, no, I, no. I know when when I first heard about this, I was like, oh, I know what Putin's doing. He is doing like a Georgia thing. He's going to go into those breakaway regions of. Ukraine, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk or whatever, and just 
you know, have a protracted military conflict there that lasts forever that just keeps Ukraine out of NATO. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of what I thought was yeah, was going to yeah. happen. And then he he went he tore the playbook up and went straight into yeah. a bunch of other places that I was not expecting. So. And and you're you're right to assume that you, it's everybody, including people who were quite close to to Putin himself, and and people like Zelensky himself did not anticipate this because there were similar kind of war games and the borders happening, uh, like at the same time, like for the last three four years. And so the only people who had credit, the only people who were making this claim were uh, Canadian and U.S. State Departments, basically. Yeah. And so it was like, well, yeah. this clock is broken. But yes, so, yeah. So it yeah. was right. It was <laughs> you're wrong. Being wrong for the right reasons is is okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 and I was surprised by it too. I mean, I'm the same, Jackson. Like I assumed it would be that sort of you know uh, low level kind of conflict that you that you were describing. So I was a bit caught off guard too, but. Um, you know, I think one thing that that might be worth adding into this, too, is because it doesn't get talked about enough, I, in my opinion, is is um, for people who are Russian in Ukraine. And that's a significant part of the population, especially in the eastern part of the country. Um, as, as, since 2014, they've faced a lot of violence uh, and you know, paramilitary attacks by these neo-Nazi groups. Like, you know, it's not like that the far right only was sort of like worming its way into state institutions. I mean, they were also just attacking people, um, you know, and, and, and it's worth it's worth pointing out as well, too, that to the far right in Ukraine, which were I can anticipate already we're about to talk about it, to them. Russian in Ukraine basically means Jewish. Um, yes. It's not like uh. that. That is not specifically the actual ethnic group of Russians that are in Ukraine, but in a very like neo-Nazi kind of way, they've, uh, they've sort of taken whiteness away from uh, Russians in their own country and uh, sort of projected this, uh, you know, Judeo Bolshevik uh, conspiracy onto them or whatever, as, yeah. as the far right is wont to do often. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly like the Nazis did with respect to Jews in Germany. Most people, you know, have lost sight of that too, but in, in Nazi Germany, you know, the, the construction of the Jews in particular as the enemies of the Nazi Reich uh, comes out of the uh, exaggerated perception that the Jews were part of the left and that the Jews were the radicals and the Jews were the socialists. And so, you know, the Jews got framed as being the outsiders because of their politics in Nazi Germany. And, uh, you know, you can fascists are, are very good at kind of just taking finding a scapegoat for the, the problems that exist. Uh, in a in a given society, and and that scapegoat is never capitalism. It's always a group of people, you know. So in Nazi Germany, the left is saying, "Look, the problem here is capitalism," and the Nazis are saying, "No, no, no, the problem is the Jews." And in in Ukraine, you know, the left in Ukraine is saying, "The problem is capitalism here. The problem is like we don't have unions and we can't fight back." And of course, the what the far right is saying is, "No, no, no, the problem is the Russians who are the Jews, and they, the Russians, the Jews, you know, are are the reason things are bad here." And, you know, I think that's probably a good place to segue into the Canadian connection here, yeah, because that that kind of um, framing of Ukraine's problem is the Russians. It's the Jews from Russia. That's why things are bad. That dates all the way back to the era of the Nazis, the actual original Nazis and the Nazi occupation of Ukraine. Um, those people in Ukraine who collaborated with the Nazis had which, that view. which I want to add, is not most Ukrainians. 
No, <laughs> like yeah. that. That's a that is a thing that has been like that. That's been completely twisted and memory hold. The vast majority of Ukrainians in the Second World War fought for the Red Army. That's right. Not Went to the fight Soviet for Union. The yeah. Or exactly. we're just or we're just trying to eat. Yeah, of know? course. As is, yeah. and that is yeah. that is also worth noting too. Within all of this, uh, just getting caught uh, in the middle, just like today. Yeah, exactly. Just right. like today, like. Once again, when we you talk about questions of like unifying with Russia or having certain areas be part of Russia or Ukrainian nationalism for the vast majority of Ukrainians, these are th- these kind of questions are are about as important to them as Quebec sovereignty is to most Canadians. It's not it doesn't really register on the list of like jobs, housing, food, uh, you know, the economy, yeah. like the kind of shit yeah. that people actually care about. Yeah. yeah, exactly. To say nothing of like a lot of Ukrainians were in the camps. Yeah. Like a lot of yeah, Ukrainians were the, were the victims of the of the Nazis and the Ukrainian fascist collaborators. I mean, you know, so that too. Yeah, it's an important point. Uh, and, and I think part of the reason perhaps that we are so focused on uh, the Nazi collaborators from Ukraine is that a lot of them came to fucking Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, I'm not, not kidding. Um, no, sure. a, a huge number of the, the relatively small group of, of Ukrainians who collaborated with the Nazis, a large number of them came back to Canada and established themselves in Canada, uh, created institutions like the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, um, built monuments to themselves, like the one to the SS Waffen Galicia Division in Edmonton and the other one in Oakville. Uh, yeah. They, they yeah. came to Canada and brought that far right politics and continued to, to, to essentially carry that ideology, to write it up. Uh, you know, they wrote books, they, they reframed Ukrainian history, they reframed Nazi collaboration as though it were, you know, uh, nationalism, patriotism, love of country. Well, we had to work with the Nazis because the Soviets were coming. So we, you know, we had no choice, um, which is bullshit. A, that's such a funny, like, that's such a funny thing to say. Like yeah. that's such an obvious, like that's such an obvious tell that like someone is full of shit. Like, uh, yeah. well, we had to work with the fascists. Yeah. What did you yeah. expect us to do? Like, yeah. I, and yeah. I want to add that the responsibility or the sanctioning of this was, it was very clear and directly organized by the Canadian state at the time. I think like there, there were many, there were a few uh, diasporas of Ukrainians coming into Canada. Uh, this is specifically, like, this is one specific or a few specific uh, parts of that diaspora. My understanding is the first few waves of Ukrainians into Canada, 18, late 1800s or mid 1800s to the early 1900s. Uh, Canada ended up cutting off that migration pattern because so many of them were fomenting labor unrest yeah. in the middle of the country. <laughs> right. So That's many right. of them are responsible for leftism in Canada uh, yep. taking root at the beginning. And so Canada made specific uh, policy changes to stop Ukrainian migration into Canada. It wasn't until the 1940s where they arranged for specific types of Ukrainians. The right to come type in. of Ukrainian. Exactly. And it exactly. was it was from who Tyler's talking about. So it wasn't just a large amount of Ukrainians coming. It was a large amount. Of, yeah, it, the proportion of Ukrainians coming in after that first wave, a huge amount of them were collaborators. Yeah, exactly. So, you look at yeah, the names of you look at the names of people in the Winnipeg general strike. You look at the names of people that went to fight to protect Spain from fascism in the 1930s. Mm. You find a lot of Ukrainian names. Wow. There were a lot of really solid yeah. 
labor and left activists among the Ukrainian diaspora from that wave. And Canada did not like it. Right? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. certainly not. So uh, there's a, I feel like we're, we're burying the lead here. There's a certain granddaughter that, uh, that needs <laughs> we'll, to make we'll an get, appearance we'll now. We'll, I think. we'll okay, get there. Yeah. We'll get there. All right. Yeah, I mean, do, should, are we ready? Is it time? I feel, do I it? feel like sure. we're, we're, I think that's we're actually, actually at that a good point, segue. honestly. Yeah, because, I, think, I think it's a natural place to talk about this. That's true. Because yeah. obviously the 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 reason why this is so relevant because, be, to Canadians specifically is that Canada and one specific person that I will let Tyler introduce uh, have a very special relationship with, spe- with specifically the far right in Ukraine. Um, so Tyler, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, uh, if this episode is still exists and is airing in, you know, if you're listening to this in 2026, uh, it's your prime minister, yeah. Christian Freeland. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have no doubt in my mind, Christian Freeland is the next prime minister. Um, they're already setting her up to be the next leader of the liberals. And I don't see any, yeah. I have no reason yet to suspect that they will lose. Um, yeah. she's riding a wave of girl boss popularity right now, especially around this Ukraine stuff. And um, her grandfather was uh, Michael Chomiak, who uh, collaborated with the Nazis uh, in in the 1940s. He was set up in an apartment that had been stolen from a Jewish family uh, who was taken to the camps. uh, And he was given editorial uh, control of uh, a newspaper in Krakow, which was also stolen from a Jewish uh, owner. And he used that paper to uh, do Nazi propaganda uh, of the sort that, you know, I mean, almost don't even want to repeat here because it's so bad. Not um, just propaganda, too, but also things like uh, names and addresses of Jewish yeah, people. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the, the worst, like the worst type of of Nazi war criminal. Uh, yeah, we're talking about here. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, wrote articles when when after the, there was a massacre of Jews, uh, the paper described it as like they finally got their comeuppance. They got what they deserved. Um, there was a comment about, uh, you know, under the Soviet Union, there were 30,000 Jews in Kiev. Uh, and now, thanks to, you know, our liberators from Germany there, you will not find a single Jew there. Um, that's almost a direct quote. The direct, direct yeah. quote is in the book, but. Um, but this is the kind of stuff he wrote. He was so um, favored by the Nazis that when the Soviet Red Army came through and liberated Ukraine from the Nazis, the Nazis actually brought Michael Chomiak with them, um, mm-hmm. which you know would would have been it would have it was an effort to do. But they brought some of their their top collaborators from Ukraine in the retreat, and he was among them, which is why he ends up in Canada. Wow. Um, once in Canada. Uh, he basically sort of lives out his days promoting the same ideology that he had promoted uh, in Ukraine. And in particular, you know, I would I would there's a book that I would take note of. Uh, it's called The Encyclopedia of, Luc- of Ukraine. And it was it was the editor was Vladimir Kubajovich, who was Michael Chomiak's boss uh, in Ukraine. Kubajovich was the highest ranking uh, Ukrainian Nazi during the war. Uh, and Chomiak and Kubajovich remain friends back in Canada. And Kubajovich um, publishes this Encyclopedia of Ukraine. And if you look at the uh, at a newsletter from 19, I believe it's 86, you'll find that an 18-year-old Christian Freeland was hired to work on the Encyclopedia of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And I point that out because so much of what Christian Freeland has done in her career is that she's celebrated and edified and glorified her grandparents in their in what she would call their fight for freedom. 
but she did not admit that they were in fact Nazis. Mm-hmm. And when when Russia released the you know this sort of slew of information um, that you know came out into the mainstream that in fact her grandfather was a Nazi, she denied it. She called it. Uh, Russian propaganda, disinformation, Sia or whatever. Yeah, right. I can't. I, I can never pronounce that. Add word the fake yeah. Russian yeah. at the end of random. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and and by the way, then, that, that wasn't new information. Like there was some, maybe some new information there. But Chrissy Freeland's uncle had been talking about this for twenty years. So her exactly. Her reaction from. to it being like it coming out and being like, like just incontrovertible proof that her grandpa was a Nazi. Her reaction to that, her like uh, comeback to that was one of the funniest things a Canadian politician has ever said, which is, okay, well, yeah, it's true, but it's still Russian disinformation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 2017. I mean, when she, yeah. And when she finally does admit that this is true, she claims that she didn't know. And today, if you go on Twitter and you try to talk about this, um, most of the reactions you'll get will be people saying it's not her fault that her grandfather was a Nazi. She didn't know, leave her out of this. You're a sexist. And the truth is she knew. And that's why I pointed out that when she was 18 years old, she was working on the encyclopedia of Ukraine. She was deeply connected to these far right Nazi collaborationist um, elements in Canada from the time that she was a small child Mm. uh, to the point where she's in her, in her teens working on the same ideological work they were doing. She then builds a journalistic career where if you look at the shit she wrote as a journalist, it's all the same line. It's about Russia and how Russia is so bad. And I'm, and I kid you not, she claims that Russia is run by the Jews. There's a section in her book, Sale <laughs> of the Century. And I'm not even kidding. Holy shit. I'm not even kidding. There's a whole section in Sale of the Century, her book about Russia, where she says that most of the oligarchy in, in Russia are Jewish. I mean, first of all, I don't think that was ever true. Second of all, no. how the fuck would that be relevant in any way to anything no. unless you don't like Jews? Um, Protocols so, are the it, elders of Oakville. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it just fucking insane? The things that will like critique of Israel will be claimed as anti-Semitic, but you can say that. And if you ever claim that Christia Freeland is anti-Semitic, it, it's uh, it's something you can't say. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty uh, mind-boggling. So yeah. you know, all of this is to say, you know, she 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 knew precisely what her grandfather was, and she mm-hmm. shared his his basic ideological position She's with respect to Ukraine. Bodies. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Knowingly carried on that project, knew precisely what it is. And so here we are in 2022 and the Ukrainian resistance to what is objectively a, a bad thing. Putin's invasion is of objectively course. a bad thing. But the resistance to it in Ukraine is largely being led and marshaled by elements of the right and far right. And Christian Freeland in my fucking city last weekend is, I think it was here. I think it was a yeah. choosing Trump. Yeah, it was a yeah, Trump. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, ca- carrying a banner uh, that is a banner of one of these far right fascist 1940s era Nazi era uh, groups in Ukraine. She knows absolutely mm-hmm. what that banner means, uh, and she's carrying it anyways. Um, so, you know, all of this is for, uh, you know try to pull my rant together here and say yeah. this. Um, <laughs> For those of us in Canada who are watching all of this, trying to make sense of it, trying to process and figure out what we should do or think about it, um, you know, my message is there is no good side. If you're looking at the leaders of Russia, of Ukraine, of Canada, there's no good side here. These are all a bunch of different versions of different flavors of right and far right 
politics. And I'll, and for me, also, my solidarity is with the working class, always. My certainly. solidarity is with poor people who are getting fucked over by the existence of this conflict. And that's my position on it. Jackson, let, the, me, let me just say for a moment yeah. that it's this... <laughs> We don't talk about, or people don't talk also enough about how this conflict was egged on from it, Absolutely. from the beginning. When we talk about, oh, the far right is resisting. And if you're from that country, you might be like, well, I want I want a resistance to happen. Those That resistance movement is happy, or the far right elements of it has been trying to make this happen for a very long time with the support of the US and Canada. At least that's just my opinion that... I, I think all basically all the worst people possible are exactly. relishing and profiting from this. Um, and so this isn't just, I, I think there's just that angle of like, well, when, when one group gets attacked, it's sensible to respond to that. And for the people who are just living their normal lives and don't want the Russians to invade, I totally understand that. But the news that I think some of our listeners are going to be seeing when they talk about resistance to it look at the photo of the people who are being profiled. They tend to literally be wearing Nazi Nazi symbolism. Well, this was the, the thing yes. that I, I wanted yeah. to interject with is that when we talk about the far right in Ukraine, we're not talking about them like the way even in the United States, we talk about how like, you know, Richard Spencer supports Trump or like there's neo-Nazis who like, yeah, no, you no. know, voice. We're, we're talking like literally there is an incorporated battalion in the Ukrainian National Guard called the Azov Battalion or Azov Battalion. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. That literally they are neo-Nazis. They don't even really try to hide it. And all of their uniforms and garb and shit is like swastikas and iron crosses and like SS symbols and like all kinds of just like outwardly neo-Nazi regalia. So we're not just talking about about like the far right, like we would talk about like Steve Bannon or something. Yeah. yeah we're yeah, talking yeah, literal neo-Nazis. And that doesn't, you know, obviously that that's like, I would never, I, the fact that I even have to say this is insulting to my own intelligence, but like, obviously not everyone in Ukraine is a fucking neo-Nazi, not mm-hmm. even like it's a fraction of people, but they happen to have a huge influence with, within politics and particularly within the military. And the, tragically, the they will gain things, it. Yeah, wild, absolutely. Sorry, I just want to quickly say one thing about that is that the amount of propaganda or like photos that are coming out of Ukraine with those particular units, with guys with patches that are SS or like swastikas or black suns a lot of the time, because that's a bit less like the black the sun is the big one. Yeah, because it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't trip that alarm way. bell when yeah. you see a swastika like almost every photo you see or not almost every but a ton of the photos you see way more than the actual proportion of the azov battalion to like the rest of ukrainian Mm -hmm. stuff so it's like why are you publicizing your weird little neo-nazi battalion so much also did you guys they they are publicizing it i think in part because a big a big part of their project is to normalize and 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 make the far right be okay and have the far right have support and the truth is you know Putin's invasion is a bit of a gift to them. I mean, Vyas, you sort of said this, but like, this is a gift to them. This gives them what they want, which is a war with Russia, which they relished. And it also gives average Ukrainian people a reason to sort of flock to the far right, because the far right is now, you know, can be seen to be defending Ukrainians from this foreign invasion. So, you know, I mean, the far right will will grow, I think, in its popularity in Ukraine as a result of this conflict. And 
you know, 10, 15 years from now, I would not be the least bit surprised if, you know, we're talking about a Ukraine that is that is fully governed by, you know, a fascist, a fully fascist uh, kind of government, not even what we have now in Ukraine, but a fully, you know, a kind of ISIS in, in Ukraine sort of situation. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think, what we probably should expect down the line. Well, it's funny yeah. you mentioned ISIS because, OK, so I we we've got a lot of ground to cover. I want to talk a little bit about sanctions and then that'll transition, I think nicely into the hockey Hockey. element of this. But before I do that, I did just want to point out two things that I thought were very funny. The first number one, uh, did you guys see Hillary Clinton on CNN talking about this and uh, using the Russians in Afghanistan as a, an example? Did you guys see that clip? Yeah, I saw that. That was, that was just, that was genuinely one of the funniest things I've ever seen. She goes on TV and she talks about how what a success it was that, you know, we armed these uh, we armed these rebels in Afghanistan to to push out the Russians and it worked. And, you know, it was such, it was this great success. And it was like, yeah. And then what happened? Those people literally yeah. turn around and did 9-11 to you, um, <laughs> literally. Uh, and then the other thing is uh, I have to admit, like a. It, just an amazing move by Putin to say immediately that the reason why he was invading Ukraine was to denazify it, <laughs> which yeah, is like, like yeah. that is brilliant because, you know, I mean, we, we talk, maybe we'll mention this at some point, but this is kind of like, it's interesting to see the reaction when another country behaves the way the United States does. But that mm. particularly is just like, the mirror image of liberal interventionism of like, we have to protect women's rights in Iraq and Afghanistan or whatever is we have to denazify Ukraine. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're doing the same thing. They're yeah. Absol- absolutely the same thing. So yeah. yeah. Um, and, and funny too, because of course, like there's a Nazi problem in Russia too. Exactly. Oh yeah. Huge, yeah. huge yeah. Nazi so problem. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of fascists that are, that are embedded in the Russian military. Uh, there's a lot of far right, you know, presence in Russian police and, you know, in a way, Putin is I, domestically, I would argue, uh, is partly trying to shore up support uh, from the right in yeah. this invasion uh, because he was recently challenged from the right by Navalny, who is, you know, a, a, an absolute fascist. And and yep. part of what Putin is trying yeah. to do is actually shore up his own position in, domestically in Russia by by taking this aggressive uh, action, which obviously fascists in Russia will will applaud and will enjoy. So, yeah. as always in these fucking situations, you know, it's it's various ruling classes, various factions of the elite, all with their own self-interest at heart and and all, the rest of us getting swept up in their propaganda, swept up behind one of their fucking flags. And none of these flags represent us. These are flags that represent ruling classes. And I don't I'm not going to pick a side. You know, I don't have a side in, in any of this. I'm with other average working people and we get nothing from Putin and his fascists or the fascists in Ukraine or Freeland and her fascists. We get nothing from any of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one, um, of the, one of the oldest things to to side with is siding with the anti-war movement, which has absolutely. been gutted, has been gutted, but it is still one of the oldest things that you can you can uh, tack your horse to. It, it yeah. doesn't mean just because you say I can't side with the flag, I can't side with the country, doesn't mean that you can't care about this and identify yeah. with the people who are being hurt here. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was a really interesting point about about the interest that Putin's doing there or uh, fulfilling there. And I like that you brought up that this is like, I mean, honestly, Ukraine is probably going to turn into a place like Syria or a place 
uh, other places where the West and the East, or the West, sorry, I shouldn't say that, uh, the powers of, uh, of NATO, powers around Russia and that bloc, um, have just been fighting over as proxy wars in some sense. And yeah, I think Ukraine, I mean, we kind of touched on it with the racism angle of this or the racial hypocrisy here. Um, but it's it's going to look a lot like a place like Syria. And with the money that Canada and the U.S. is is uh, funneling into there um, and what Russia is doing there, it's, it's just going to keep getting uglier, even if even if uh, the troops leave. Um, one of the listeners of the show um, at its BC gym had this two tweet uh, thread that I really, really enjoyed. It's short. But he said that Putin has done more for fascism in Ukraine this week than the CIA has in years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. And then a that's second one true. was that as in Afghanistan, there is no political counter argument to, quote, they killed my cousin and these other guys gave me a gun. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yep. yep. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit about sanctions. I don't think we have to go too far into detail into what the sanctions actually are uh, because it doesn't super matter. The only thing people really need to know is that they're very, very punitive. Um, there have been uh, huge restrictions on, uh, you know, like Russian imports and something about I think they can't li- listen to Taylor Swift albums anymore or something. I wasn't paying attention. Pretty sure um, Russian cats have been banned from cat shows. That's right. Yeah. Um, but he's not I mean, kidding. Big, guys. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> the, the big one is, um, as I alluded to earlier, they're being cut off from Swift. Um, there's banking system. Their their whole banking system is fucked now. Like people can't get their Apple Pay to work. Like it's it, it's mainly affecting like regular Russians. I should add. Like, like there are um, two things guys that the who West need could... to take the subway in Moscow to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like there are two things that the West could be doing if they're if if like what they say about sanctions is actually what they were doing, and it's hitting a Russian foreign capital that's across the world, outside yeah. of Russia. Um, and and cutting off access to Russian gas. But there is no way that the West is going to do that when Russian gas uh, fuels like most of Europe. Um, and they're, they're not going to hit at the richest of Russia. They're, they're just not going to do that. Yeah. Not, not in, a, in a huge, I know there's been some of that happening, but they're going to do it at the easy spots to pick off of basically. These sanctions are only going to hurt, hurt poor people. Well, because they can't, yeah. uh, they, you know, the, that uh, you open yourself up to. Wait a minute. So these these rich asshole oligarchs are bad, but ours are good. Yeah. Um, you know, they're and they're all fucking. Well, no, that's because too. we have billionaires. Yeah, right. So yes, good. there's and a they difference. Have oligarchs that yeah. Are yeah, yeah, yeah. Entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, Elliot. Yeah. Um, job creators. Before we before we transition into which it's been a long time, but we are going to get to the hockey. This is a hockey it. show. Um, before we transition to that, I, I I just wanted to ask, like, what is the point of these sanctions, and are they going to work? Basically, uh, no, no. You said it right, Jackson. You got it all right. I don't have anything to add, truthfully. Sanctions are, I mean, you know, we could use the example of the sanctions that the U.S. put on Iraq in the '90s. Yeah. You know, the U.S. goes yeah. to war yeah. against Iraq in, in 1991, devastates a lot of its, you know, breaks its military and, and destroys and a lot of its industrial infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then sanctions for a decade. Uh, you know, famously, um, Madeleine Albright, then Secretary of State, is asked on uh, 60 Minutes in an interview. She's asked, you know, um, we've heard that maybe half a million Iraqi children have died from the sanctions. Is it worth it? And she says, yes, it's worth it. 
I mean, you know, that's the U.S. in the 1990s doing it to Iraq. Same shit here. Um, Sanctions will hurt poor people in the same way that it's poor Ukrainians who are getting screwed over by this conflict. It's poor Russians who will get screwed over by the sanctions. Um, And by the conflict. And by the conflict, yeah. Yeah. They're getting drafted. They're getting drafted into the military. Absolutely. So the the, the one one thing I want to... One thing that... Sorry, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, Elliot. Um, the one thing that I think is actually quite instructive about the sanctions, though, is it really kind of shines a light on how much of our own lives we've been forced to, allowed to, whatever word you want to pick here, uh, put in the hands of a few very small, extremely unaccountable corporations like Apple and Google. Yeah. Like, yeah. there should be a lesson that we should be taking, which is this is a vulnerability that also applies to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the other thing I wanted to add to all of this is that the basic, what they say, it was the same thing they said in Iraq, and it's the same thing that they're saying now about Russia, is this idea that basically the goal is to destabilize and make the head of state so unpopular that the people will rise up. And um, I know a bunch of people on Twitter told me that every poll out of Russia is fake, but I do want to <laughs> just like talk a little bit about just abusing sort of a basic logic and understanding of like, if if Russia really is as in the thrall of Putin and and propaganda as we are told that they are, what are you going to think when you're told that a war that is happening was a defensive war, even if that's not true, when you've been told that by by all the sort of figures of power in your country and then the other guy's response is to throttle your economy worse than basically yeah. it's ever been throttled is that going to make you mad at your people who who are being told that are who are telling you that uh you're doing this because out of self-defense or is it going to be at the people who are sanctioning exactly and exactly. if if the the polls that i've been assured are totally fake and i shouldn't listen to out of russia are have even a, a a single grain of truth to them. This has not affected Putin's popularity at all. If anything, it has increased it. Oh, and, of course it's increased. And of course that it's makes increased, sense. Yeah. That makes sense to me based on what fucking happened in America when they went to war. Yep. Like yep. and it, like when 9-11 happened, it was the most popular a president has ever been ever. It's 90%. Like 90% approval rating. For, to a guy who, when he left office, was like polling in the fucking single digits, a total zero that everyone hated, um, managed to get up to fucking ninety percent when he was in wartime. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's the it's the tragedy of I think far right and and nationalistic uh, sort of aggressive politics like this is that you know when they come up into into a conflict against one another, they actually you know they they push people within the, the other country to join the right. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. you know a, an aggressive right-wing attack by Russia helps the right in Ukraine. Uh, a right-wing response in the West against Putin helps the right in Russia. I mean, they just, they just, you know, reinforce, mutually reinforce one another, which is why, you know, I just, I'm at pains to, I'm just, wait, you know, pounding the, the dirt on this. Our solidarity has to be about class. It has to be about the working class, not about nations, not about flags, but but you know everyone, all working and poor people who are are getting drawn into this conflict. And and however we in Canada get drawn into it too, whether it's something as banal as the price of gas going through the roof, you know, I mean that's not good 
for working people, the price of gas going through the roof is not yeah. a good thing. And, and you know, you're not winning because of the Russia-Ukraine war and putting a Ukrainian flag in your fucking Twitter isn't going to mean the gas goes down. Like we in the working class are always the ones who suffer when when the ruling class goes to war with one another. So, you know, and what I really serious. want to know is like, what does Alex Ovechkin think of this? You know? <laughs> well, I, okay, I we'll, mean, get, we'll get there uh, like okay. in, in 10 seconds. And I just wanted to add. Because you said uh, this helps the right in Ukraine, this helps the right in uh, in Russia. The Canadian defense industry is loving yeah. this. They love the shit out of this. They're yeah. and they're going to fill their pockets with it. And someone should ask the Winnipeg Jets organization what they think, <laughs> since their logo was designed in concert with the Canadian military. Yep. Yes. Yes. Uh, All right. Let's uh, go in there. closing, in closing, uh, no war between peoples, no peace between classes. Um, yep. The yes. That brings us to uh, the sanctions that actually have an effect on the thing that this show is ostensibly about, which is hockey, which is the National Hockey League in particular. But um, yeah, there have been some some largely, I would argue, performative um, and theatrical uh, sanctions placed on Russia within the sports realm. Uh, the the big one and I would say the most defensible one is uh, the double IHF. Uh, expelling them and I believe moving a tournament that was going to be in Russia. Am I right about that? Did I read that correctly or did I, I didn't hear the second one, but okay. Um, yeah, I saw that. Okay. Uh, I think I will say they're removing on, Artem Trubaro's car from the, <laughs> <line>. <laughs> um, I, on, on the subject of this one, um, I will ask for your take as well. Uh, um, Tyler, but when it comes to this one, I at least understand it, if, even if I don't necessarily agree with it, because it is ultimately, this is the one example where you can say you are actually representing your country and there is like a political element to it. It's not something that uh, it, this kind of thing sort of has been done before with uh, apartheid South Africa. Um, we can talk about whether that's a fair comparison or not. Um, but uh, basically my, my point here is it's definitely not going to be applied uh, fairly or consistently, but it, I do at least kind of understand the thinking behind it because it's international hockey. Uh, what did you What did you think about the the double IHF ban on on Russians and Belarusians? I mean, I, I think I agree with what you've said already, and and I think it's a bit of a performative measure. I don't think it really. I mean, does it is it going to profoundly affect those? those players uh probably not really i mean it just means they wait another year as far as i at least if i understand it yeah you know it means they wait another year so it's pretty performative sort of thing um unless of course those players get swept up in the war yeah uh you know that's the you know that's mm -hmm. probably the, the bigger worry for them um but yeah I, I mean i think it's all a bit of a circus um and and it's part of a, a whipping up of anti-russian uh, you know, whether we want to call it xenophobia or, or removing Anastasia from Disney plus. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, which is the one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One Critical support for that decision. Because... <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I've seen that movie. She dances with her ghost father, Nicholas, the, the Tsar yeah, of yeah. Russia. So uh, I also... there's something in there where like Rasputin or like a bad, He's the bad guy. A... Wasn't there something where like, the Bolshevik revolution happened because like a bat casts a spell or something <laughs> that rocks. If that's true, that, that is very funny. Critical um, support for bats. Critical, 
Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you and JD will agree on that. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, as long as they don't take Tarkovsky off the Criterion channel, because I want to watch those movies. <laughs> oh, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that oh, that shit, like the really stupid shit, like uh, like uh, taking Tolstoy. Uh, russia off mm-hmm. of uh off of the ea games or whatever um <laughs> that's some free truly some freedom for yeah, us shit it's freedom it's very yeah, stupid. Shit. that's all it is um what do you i this is a question i was actually really eager to ask you i i hope we don't like i hope it's not doesn't derail things too much but what do you make of the apartheid south africa comparison because that that is a thing that made me like oh, think twice um, uh yeah i don't like I, it yeah okay yeah I don't like it. I mean, um, for, for two reasons. The first reason I don't like it uh, is that these are just completely different scenarios. Sure. Utterly, utterly different. Uh, you know, there's zero comparison that could be made here. Uh, you know, no, the comparison it, would be to Iraq in 2003. That would be yeah. the comparison. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, so, so I don't like the comparison. Uh, the other thing I don't like about it is that um, boycotts around South Africa were, uh, were targeted and they were specific and they were led by people in South Africa. They yeah. were led by the struggle in South Africa against mm-hmm. the racist system of apartheid, mm-hmm. uh, just as you know the BDS movement, Boycott, Divestment, Sanction movement uh, with respect to Palestine is led by people in Palestine saying, this is what we need. Here is how you can help us. This is what yeah. would undermine the Israeli state in, in specific mm-hmm. ways that will help us fight for and demand our freedom. Um, and that's not what's happening here in these these sanctions against Russia. Um, also, I mean, like the West had a very cozy relationship with apartheid South Africa, whereas like that, that the kind idea. of relationship. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas that relationship doesn't exist between the United States and Russia or Canada and Russia. So it's sort of like it's a bit like glass houses. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. OK. Yeah. I just I, I'm glad. I'm glad I got to ask you that because that was something that had been mm-hmm. roiling around in my head that I didn't have a good answer to. Um, so uh, that brings us to uh, the next big one, the one that really shocked me and the one that I'm the, the most upset about, I think, which is uh, the CHL banning Russian and Belarusian imports for at least this season. This came down, um, I believe, on this came down on the second march the second there's a tweet here from uh dan milstein from march the second on at 10:27 uh, a.m dan milstein by the way is the number one agent for russian players he represents something like 80 percent of the russians in the league uh he's saying of course this is now confirmed but at 3 p.m eastern standard time the canadian junior hockey league chl will announce that russians and belarusian 16 and 17 year old children would be banned from the upcoming draft that's the chl import draft um he also adds and i think this is worth repeating i am ukrainian born dan milstein is a ukrainian jew i am ukrainian born and want peace i do not believe banning teenagers for something they do not control is the answer um what did you make of the uh perhaps unsurprising decision that the chl made to ban uh russians in the import draft I, you know same thing again performative bullshit that i think sir the only purpose that served is to um, be part of the whipping up of this anti-Russian sentiment and also to, um, uh, I think, to very clearly signal um, that they're on side with it. Like when these things happen, when when there is this kind of these kind of moments of like hyper 
uh, in this case, you know, it's not exactly nationalist, but sort of hyper um, politicization of a particular issue where where there is no disagreement allowed. A good comparison would be immediately after 9-11, where yeah. you weren't allowed to, to speak outside of a very narrow way about 9-11. Uh, you know, there were questions you couldn't ask, things that you'd be shouted down for, for saying. And when that kind of climate gets created, it, it has like a, a sort of cyclical effect where on the one hand, people are, are, are doing that because they're getting caught up in it, but they're also doing it because they don't want to be seen to be not doing it. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, like for every politician that puts out a tweet, you know, with the Ukrainian flag and, and you know, inadvertently perhaps repeating, you know, Ukrainian fascist, uh, you know, um, slogans, are they doing it because they really want to be part of this or are they doing it because they're afraid someone will accuse them of not being part of it? Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think the CHL is somewhere in that milieu. Like, I don't know if, if they're trying to get out ahead of it. They just don't want to be accused of not doing enough. But, you know, agree with everything we've already said about this stuff that it, it nothing positive is accomplished and a lot of a lot of negative is accomplished. I will what, what what I saying... cycl circling back to what we were talking about with sanctions is that getting like not being allowed to bring these players over means that they're playing back in Russia for their oligarch owned MHL teams. Oh, yeah. So, Putin loves this. Like, and the yeah, Russians, yeah, the Russians love this. Them. Exactly. If you're not um, even, it doesn't work. You're that's something that was pointed out uh, by uh, another friend of the show, Daniel Wagner, in a great article that I will plug mm, for yes. Vancouver is awesome. Shockingly um, <laughs> uh, titled CHL's reported decision to ban Russian and Belarusian players from draft is ill-conceived theater. Uh, and then he has a quote underneath it that, that, that says all these kids want to do is play hockey and forcing them to stay home is exactly what Russia wants, um, which I agree with. And yeah. uh, I mean, it sucks like it, it fuck. I just think it sucks. Like, uh, yeah. and it's, it's the first, it's not the, or rather it's not the first time that the CHL has done something like this. They banned uh, import goaltenders for a while. If you remember back in the, I want to say kind of early aughts or mid aughts, maybe. Yep. Um, yeah. Right when the CHL was, or Canada was having a junior goalie crisis. Yeah. Uh, um, and, <laughs> I was, uh, I was... and I mean, I, I do genuinely feel like these are, these are teenagers. These, they don't, if they have a politics, it's meaningless. Like yeah. genuinely. And, and, um, and furthermore, too, if we're going to talk about the CHL as any kind of moral compass, oh. uh, like this is, the, <laughs> this is no. the organization that's facing a lawsuit for um, uh, kids, players who, who, who were abused systematically as players in the CHL. Uh, you know, this is a league that um, refused to allow its players to uh, unionize, fought yeah, against union efforts, right? I mean, come on, the CHL, yeah. they're going to stand up and do what's right on, on moral principles. Get the fuck out of here. We whatever, refuse whatever to hold. have your players come over here and not get paid to play basically professional <laughs> hockey. Yeah, yeah whatever horrible, get abused. Yeah, whatever yeah. horrible hazing stuff you hear about any single team, it is happening across the CHL. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I was yeah. going to bring up is how we've seen a lot of vandalism of Russian churches, community centers and stuff like that, especially uh, Victoria and Vancouver. We had examples of that um, discrimination actively happening to people uh, who are perceived to be Russian, uh, just living their daily lives around here. I think I've seen some people talk about how, oh, well, once Putin pulls out of Ukraine, uh, then, you know, we'll stop doing this, basically. We'll, we'll stop it with the sanctions. We'll stop it with all this other stuff. I don't think that's going to happen even when the last tank, Russian uh, flag tank, leaves Ukraine. 
like that's not how this kind of discrimination works no it's it's been sitting there underneath a lot of stuff and it's been given justification now and a lot of people have been drummed up into doing this and it, it's not going to get better just because no. of a few headlines that change and and also yeah. i mean one thing i was thinking about was Russia's in the Crimea, Crimea, like Crimea, there's very few non-devastating circumstances where the Crimea would be returned to Ukraine. And also it seems like a lot of their population in polls, I know whatever thoughts on polls are, uh, P-O-L-L polls, um, (laughs) uh, are that a lot of Crimeans are are okay with the leadership. And uh, like there's... (laughs) we're always probably going to be in this crisis now against Russia. And I think things are just going to get worse. And systematically, I think less and less Russians uh, let's stick to hockey here. A a lot less fewer, many fewer Russians are going to want to play in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, Random small tidbit. I just want to add when I was looking up Dan Milstein, he represents almost entirely players who sound like they have Russian names except for, except for one uh, just kind of call back to a few episodes ago yeah. he represents Evander Kane <laughs> oh, oh that's funny it's, it's that so too. standout yeah, yeah that's that's interesting uh, yeah, yes I just wanted to jump in on what you were saying though Please. and add one one other thought to it because I think you're right and and I um, this is a bit speculative on my end I don't know this for certain so take it with a grain of salt but my my gut feeling about this is that the anti-russia xenophobia that's being whipped up right now, um, is going to, again, think about the big picture here, Russia and China as capitalist mm, yep, rivals yeah, in this yeah. era. It's going to bleed and blend into the anti-Asia stuff, that yep. al- or anti-Asian stuff that already uh, started to, to appear, uh, yep. especially in the early pandemic, the China virus and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is obviously, obviously has much deeper roots, uh, especially in Canada. But I think that I think that what we're going to gradually see is that the anti-Russia stuff will kind of be be blended into that, and Russia will increasingly be characterized and framed as not European. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas the republics not like yeah. not exactly. Whereas Ukraine, Latvia, Lithuania, you know, all of the the republics on Russia's border, that will be the line that will be drawn uh, intellectually between what is Europe, what is the good civilized white Europe, and then what is scary bad Asia. Uh, and, and Russia will increasingly, I mean, it's always been complicated, but Russia will increasingly be framed as being part of that scary, bad Asia and and the sort of the block around China and Russia that emerges as a rival capitalist block. That's going to manifest in North America as as a, as a type of and a new kind of, um, I guess, uh, target for white racism. John um, Cherry-esque yeah. xenophobia yeah. towards yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah towards players yeah. of that region. I didn't think he was ahead of his time. You mentioned yeah. uh, you mentioned China as well. China is making inroads in the KHL. I think the I, I it would not surprise me if at least in the short term, possibly even in the medium to long term, there is an effect that we see uh, that we've kind of already seen with the KHL growing. Um, and, and I mean, obviously, I think the sanctions and everything probably put a halt to that for a bit. But I think. Having said that, the Russophobia and everything else that's going on will likely have the effect of those middle tier guys, the guys who could play uh, maybe the, the second line forwards who aren't quite good enough to be top paid players or the the third, fourth line grinders who are good enough to play in the NHL, but aren't going to get long term deals, the sort of like um, 
you know, I'm trying to think of uh, the Leo Komarovs, you know, of the world or yeah. whatever, uh, who I believe is like Estonian or something. But um, regardless, Ronald's Kennens. Yeah, those guys will probably stick to playing in Europe. I, I would think more and more, uh, yeah. more like more of them, less of them yeah. will, will bother because that's already a consideration when it comes to Russian players. Um, so that brings me to the last thing that I want to touch on. That's a hockey related thing, which is um, a comment from uh, Dominic Hasek, who before I go to town on this guy, I do have to say greatest goalie of all time. Mm-hmm. You can't take that, that. Can't take that away from him. He is yeah. the goat. Um and uh, but he had some choice words for Alex Ovechkin, who has been the sort of figure dancing around in the background as we talk about all of this, because obviously he's been the guy, the poster boy for uh, anti, you know, the he's been the lightning rod for anger at at Russia within the NHL. And I mean, some of that's understandable. He's been a vocal Putin supporter in the same way that you know, every American player in the 2000s would say, oh, he's my president and I support him. You know, um, he did go so far as to do the whole Putin team thing. But, you know, it's not like his his it's not like any of this has ever been interrogated before. Like, I don't know. I I I don't want to editorialize too much, but it's it's very to me, it looks pretty superficial outside of the fact that, like, he does obviously love being um, the, you know, like I said, just in the same way that everybody who goes to the White House fucking loves to be photographed with the president. Like he does love being a representative of Russia and a representative of Putin. Um, but, I, you know, I guess my point is if if the leadership changed tomorrow, would he would he just feel that way about the new like prime minister? Probably. That's that's my opinion. But whatever. Um, he's been this no, huge figure of Panarin instead. Yeah, well, yeah, he's been this this figure of derision. And so uh, he was asked recently about the war and he responded. And I think honestly, like the only way he really could have, which was basically to say, please, no more war. I hope the war ends soon. You know, it's my country. It's my president. uh, But like, I don't like seeing this happen and i hope it's over soon which you can say is pretty uh milk toast or whatever but um you know not to not to go for the low-hanging fruit but (laughs) uh in 2003 a couple months after the invasion of iraq the new jersey devils went to visit george w bush they gave him a new jersey devils jersey that said bush on it (laughs) and not a single one of them was asked a single question about anything about politics and not a single one of them could even be bothered to say i hope the war ends soon so if we're being fair here Alex Ovechkin is still more brave than any member of the 2003 New Jersey Devils. Um, that's yeah. just facts. That's just, that is just facts. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, at, at much and at much uh, greater, you know, risk uh, for, you know, once again, like the one thing about Russia that is and continues to be true, like it is a dangerous place for some people. And, um, yeah. you know, criticizing Putin, we've seen people go to jail for it. Like, recently with the anti-war demonstrators and stuff um which but anyways. you know which actually jackson you know yeah. illustrates some of, some of the absurdity to go back to the, sh- the shit about sanctions yeah um you know the the line about sanctions that you described well which is that oh well you know 
uh, if we put sanctions on Russia, then Russians will be so upset that they will pressure Putin to stop right. this. It's like at the same time, the same people who say that will also bleat on and on until they're blue in the face about how if you say anything that Putin doesn't like in Russia, you're immediately thrown in jail and, and you're never heard from again. Right. So which yeah. is it? Yeah. You know, to, to, to the West, my question is, which is it? Is this yeah. a like totalitarianism where, where everything you do is under scrutiny and you'll be jailed for breathing against Putin? 1984, it, the animal farm. Right, yeah. Or is, on yeah. the other hand, is it a place where you could put sanctions on that country and then have the reasonable expectation that people would rise up against Putin because they didn't like the sanctions? It can't be both. Yeah, and, and yeah. In, in addition to that too, like, I don't really understand how people bought like whole and I'm not I, I don't have an opinion on this. Like I I well, I mean, I do have an opinion insofar as I think Navalny is just as bad, if not worse than Putin. But like the Artemi Panarin thing, nobody had any trouble buying that that story about him was totally trumped up and that like he had to, you know, go on a leave of absence because his family was in danger for speaking out against Putin or whatever, which like, hey, makes sense to me like i'm not i'm not denying that i'm not saying it's not true but like how can you on the one hand say that and then on the other hand say but alex ovechkin there's no he would have no danger speaking out and yeah. his family's not in danger as slava malamud uh by the way oh. said explicitly he's rich so oh. his family could just be flown out immediately oh yikes yeah that guy's a fucking well, I won't say. Don't get me Jesus, started. Jesus oh Christ. Don't get me started on that fucking guy. But anyway, oh. look, look, um, I just have one piece of advice about it. Just Slava Malamute him. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. So Dominic, Dominic Hashik had something to say about uh, Ovechkin's comments, and it's a very funny uh, it's it's batshit insane, but it's also very it's funny. a great grab. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what? Not only an alibist, a chicken shit, but also a liar. Every adult in Europe knows well that Putin is a oh. mad killer. And that Russia is waging an offensive war against the, the, the free country and its people. The NHL must immediately suspend contracts for all Russian players, exclamation mark. Every athlete represents not only himself and his club, but also his country and its values and actions. That is a fact. If the NHL does not do so, it has indirect co-responsibility for the dead in Ukraine. Um, it's like easy to fucking say, but you know, uh, what were you doing in the 1980s? Uh, like with respect to the Czech Republic, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, bud. Like I, I just, oh, I mean, it's one of those things that does not pass the sniff test at all. But as soon as you think about any other country doing anything. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we, we don't have the time now, but like, uh, Elliot and Vias and I did workshop like a number of bits about just asking every player from every country <laughs> about like, you know, like asking Tyler Myers about the trans bill in Texas. Texas. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it, I, I want to talk to Sven Barchi about Swiss neutrality in the second world war. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, Ask, anymore, okay. I will say number one thing that we start with is every Finnish player has to answer what side their family was on during World War II. <laughs> um, I thought you were yeah. say every Finnish player has to uh, speak to Jake for Cannon. <laughs> okay. Oh. I thought, I thought yeah, that's fair, what you were going to say. Fair enough. Um, yeah, Ooh. I mean, I don't know that there's much to, to say about this suggestion, which I have seen like from tons of eggs on Twitter, but also like a couple of serious people. Like I've seen, um, there was one, there's actually, there's a, I hate to say it because I, I I've loved so much of his work, but there was a really fucking questionable article by Rick Westhead 
where he spoke to to someone and just very uncritically reprinted like a bunch of stuff about canceling Russia and uh, work visas and stuff. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we're at the end of the episode and it's all that really needs to be said is this fucking ridiculous. And it also will never happen um, because money talks and bullshit walks and the like there are so many teams in the NHL that have so much money riding on like the guy you would do it to would be Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals and whoever the fuck their owner is. I can't remember would never stand for it because the NHL cannot stand in the way of the just license to print money. That would be Ovechkin matching Gretzky's goal total. Yeah. yeah. Right. It just, it's so it won't happen, but uh, I, I think the suggestion is ridiculous, frankly. And um, the individual like owner or GM of a team without any Russian players would do that, could do that. Um, but Mike Gillis in 2011. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's not going to happen. Uh, it's it's not even really worth entertaining because it would never happen. But it's also very silly that people think it should happen. So that is I mean, my, it, that is my position. It, I mean, a, a, an interesting thing, a way of, put, of framing it might be to say, you know, okay, Hashik's comment, if we just, if we take him at his word and we hold every professional athlete to that standard, then, okay, you know, like I could be down. I yeah. could be down yeah. with that. Um, the, the problem is that it's just so obviously absurd. I mean, when has Sidney Crosby ever, yeah. ever in his life had to make a comment on politics? I mean, he was so uncomfortable uh, the three times he went to the White House, at least one of which was to visit with Trump. I mean, yeah, he he refused yeah. to answer questions. They gave him they gave Trump a golf bag with a Penguins logo on it. And I mean, you know, so many of these guys just like float through and never have to answer any of these questions. Yeah. I, I would actually love it if they had to, if we started making yeah. it so that they would have to. But but until that time comes, like I'm not going to single out Alex Ovechkin and expect yeah. him specifically to be the one who does it. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and Sidney Crosby probably didn't like the reason he looked uncomfortable is just because that's what Sidney Crosby always looks like. Oh yeah, that's his face. <laughs> yeah. uh, just what I, his face looks. Like. I wanted to add yeah. to he had uh, the mumps. I was gonna <laughs> tweet this. Yeah, um, Quagmire looking ass. Um, I was gonna tweet this, <laughs> but I didn't because I was like, this will be immediately interpreted in bad faith, particularly if it ends up somewhere where I don't have like control or the audience doesn't know me but, I like this already uh one of the only guys who can actually like one of the only championship winning athletes in the nhl who can seriously claim that he did not use his clout to uh gas up a war criminal is tim thomas hilariously <laughs> um so like that's I'm true so glad you said i it, mean said it. fuck what could you say um yeah uh Anything else that we wanted to get to? I have one last thing that I wanted to say, but anything else that we wanted to get to on this? Uh, no, except just thanks, Tyler, for for setting this all up with us. Yeah, you're yeah. you've done an amazing job, Tyler. Uh, thank you fantastic. so much for for joining us. I did just want to say there's one last thing that I think people will want me to comment on, so I'm just going to. I've been seeing a lot of posts recently uh, decrying tankies how terrible tankies are. I just want to say I, uh, anybody who's, who's followed me knows 
I am a proud tanky. Uh, I've <laughs> always thought the Canucks should tank. I've been saying that <laughs> since 2014. Um, so I just wanted to be on the record about that. I can uh, see how that could get misinterpreted in the wrong sections of the I held, I held my breath on that one for a moment. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Tyler, for joining us. I will um, direct yeah, people to an article you wrote in the Maple called The Historical Roots of the Conflict in Ukraine. This is a great, I mean, hopefully our episode was illuminating and entertaining for people, but uh, this article is really a great, like, if you're just like, I don't fucking understand any of this shit, read this article and you'll be like, okay, I, I know what I need to know now. Um, and if you and and if you feel that way about other issues in uh, in Canada or about Canada's relationship with the rest of the world, mm-hmm. uh, I I will recommend in uh, Tyler's book that he came on to discuss when when it first released uh, called Canada in the World: Settler Capitalism and the Colonial Imagination. It was released. Uh, it was published by Fernwood Publishing. Uh, I'd recommend you uh, buy it from there. Um, Tyler, I've been using that book this like last week kind of like a bible where i'm like oh <laughs> or, or just not just this week but like i'll go to it because each thing is just like what fucked up thing did canada do in this country and i'm just like oh, oh man. you know what what was romeo delaire's deal and so i oh, opened I that chapter that. up the other day i'm like yeah, it's a fantastic book oh thanks i love that i'm so glad to hear that I, that's exactly I, honestly why i wrote it that's exactly <laughs> it so that rules yeah I, when i bought it i bought two because i gave one as a gift to somebody and they loved it too so that's amazing. Uh, Thanks, guys. I will, I will also put in a plug for uh, Tyler's appear- first appearance on the show to discuss the book, which is episode 54 entitled Shapoo Trap House, um, <laughs> which, which is one of my favorite ones that we've done. And also it includes a bunch of uh, evergreen uh, dunking on Ron McLean. So, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Same episode, right? right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If yeah, you haven't yeah. heard that one, that's a that's that felt like two one. separate episodes. <laughs> nope. No, nope, that's the same one. It's, the the art, it's definitely the like shirtless Ron McLean, right? right? Yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That was awesome. Air guitar. All right. Uh, Thanks well, so much, man. Maybe we'll one of my. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Jackson, congrats again. Oh, thank you. Yes. It was a wonderful yes. time. The ass, congrats on not playing NHL during the <laughs> session tonight. <laughs> really proud of I was you. Just looking at the players and their agents all night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually, if you'll allow me oh, uh, a little bit of. Sorry. If you'll allow me a little bit of self indulgence here to close out on something because there was, there is. Um, a and this is I feel bad ending on it because it's very like fart sniffy, but um, there is an element to this of that's come like come up for me a couple of times from people both in person and on the internet of like why are you so focused on Ukraine and like the bad things about Ukraine and why aren't you decrying Russia more and if you I I once again I'm sorry to do this because it is fart sniffy, but um, there's a great Chomsky quote that if you don't mind, I just think sums it up really well um, for anybody who's wondering like why we weren't harder on Russia. Um, my own concern was primarily the terror and violence carried out by my own state for two reasons. For one thing, because it happens to be the larger component of international violence, but also for a much more important reason than that. Namely, I can do something about it. Yep. So even if the U.S. was responsible for 2% of the violence in the world instead of the majority of it, it would be that 2% I would be primarily responsible for. Yep. And that is a simple ethical judgment. That is, the ethical value of one's actions depends on their anticipated and predictable consequences. It is very easy to denounce 
the atrocities of someone else, that has about as much ethical value as denouncing atocracies that took place in the 18th century. So um, yeah, I wanted to I put that Amen. out there as well because I, I I'm anticipating criticism <laughs> already, yeah. uh, and I do I do think that that is the he also has a, a great like he was uh, he liked to repeat himself a lot, but he also has a similar quote where he ends with saying. Um, uh, I think that's a kind of a fundamental moral truism. Again, it's a very simple ethical point. You're responsible for the predictable consequences of your actions. You're not responsible for the predictable consequences of someone else's actions. Yes. Yeah. So um, on that. that note. Uh, last question. Thanks. Last question. Oh, yeah. Whose cat is that? Oh, that's mine. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Better not be a Russian Carl. cat. Yeah. And by which no, when I, I say I'm so sorry, I mean, I'm so sorry to the cat because he's fucking hungry. So oh, <laughs> all right. you guys are responsible for oh, that no, meowing. No. We, uh, <laughs> I know we had another thing planned for tonight, but we'll, we'll table that this yeah, time. Later, later. Okay. We'll do it later. Um, <laughs> all, right. all right. Thanks a ton for joining us, Tyler. Um, anything you want to plug besides the shit we plug for you? No, Roxy Fever. Go listen to Roxy Fever. Always. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. You. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at McDonald. You can follow me on Twitter at Saran. You can follow me on Twitter at Moose Kayak. Don't forget to follow the pod at Roxy Fever. And we have a very special... Uh, no, oh, yeah. don't plug my account. I got too many already. Yeah, yeah. You follow Tyler. You can find him on Twitter. I, it's, you know, I think it's his name. Um, definitely... Keep your eye out on the Roxy Favor Patreon. We have a very special episode planned for our return um, that I will probably talk to these guys about as soon as we sign off. So uh, thanks for listening and send your hate mail to at Slava Malamud on Twitter. Yes. Here we go. Oh